Hey everyone, Alec here with a special surprise for you this week. Instead of your typical episode, we are going to give you the secret special YouTube video in audio form that was originally intended to be the surprise gift for those of you who were able to finish the puzzle from season one. Since nobody actually did finish it, we didn't want it to just go nowhere, so thought now was an appropriate time to release it. If any of you still do go back and solve the puzzle, we may still have a special surprise for you, but seems like a bit of a waste for nobody to ever get to hear what we think is a glorious video. Little bit of a warning, I would say that this is pretty uncensored beyond what we're typically sharing in podcast form. Uh, we streamed it in secret, so uh, just keep that in mind as you're listening, especially if you're with little ones, but we're very excited to present it, and it is going to give you an idea of what some of our favorite cryptids are that we either have inducted into Journal 4, or at this point are honorarily inducting. So have a great time, and we will be back soon with a normal rewatch episode, and the next one's gonna be a good one. So stay tuned, and thanks everybody for supporting Gravity Bros. Talk to you next time. Welcome to Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater, everybody. I'm Alec. This is my brother, Lucas. But wait, I'm all confused. Uh, welcome to the Gravity Bros podcast, where uh, the mysteries of real life creep into the non-animated world. What is this, Lucas? Is, is this the theater or is this the podcast? I'm all discombobulated. We're stuck in a dimension between podcast and YouTube video, between audio and video. This is a bit... For our intro people if you are seeing this video it means that you have found something extremely secret we have decided that we don't want this video to see the light of day to very many people but we have recruited the help of a mysterious woman whose name i will not divulge to potentially lead a certain amount of people down the path to find a secret entry to what we call journal four Journal 4 is where we keep the logs of all kinds of potentially real creatures from our world. Not the Gravity Falls universe, but uh, the real Earth of which Lucas and I inhabit. And we've been keeping track of some beasts that may or may not be real. And in this specific entry, we are giving you some insight into our souls. Not about what is real or what is not, but rather our favorite creatures that exist within this journal that we have created. Now, I can't promise the physical copy of the journal will ever see the light of day, but you, cool. a certain select amount of people, may have found this video. And if you have, it's a very impressive feat because this woman has gone to a lot of lengths to make sure that this entry does not get into the wrong hands. So congratulations if you are seeing this video because it will not be seen by many. Yeah. Secret biz. You just stepped into the unicorner. Oh, I like the unicorner. Could that be a segment? I don't know. I just made it up. I was totally on the fly. I'm happy with it. Especially because you wear a unicorn onesie at the end of every finale video. I know. I know. I didn't actually... I don't actually have a unicorn thing prepared for this, though. I'm baiting I mean, you all. For my onesie, could I call it the Frogger? Like, the video game? Cause... I feel like there was, like, a Frogman thing in, in oh. cryptozoology right 
Not only was there, but it made my list. What oh, we're about oh. to share with you, everybody, are our top five favorite cryptids each. And I'm so excited to talk about some of these. Um, presumably, if you are seeing this video, you are probably a Gravity Bros listener. Um, may or may not be a YouTube watcher. I would assume that most of you probably are. Um, but you know, if you're more of the podcast type, feel free to just like listen to this in the background, but we are going to show the visuals of some of the creatures that, uh, are some of our favorites here today. And I'll make sure to give very passionate descriptions about them as well. So don't you worry. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, there's some that you're probably, you probably will have heard of, and then there's going to be some that might be brand new to you. Just they're stupid and fun. There's all kinds of different directions that we're going to go with this today. Yeah, you might have heard of two of mine, <laughs> unless you're really into this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably went more obscure than me, because we have different things that we like about uh, these unknown beasts that inhabit the Earth. Um, yeah. I am kind of ready to get into this. Do you have anything that you want to say before we start revealing our lists? Um, yes, actually, I do. So Alec and I approached this with a certain level of ramifications. So we are trying to do more like cryptozoological creatures and things that like there's at least a little bit of reasonable doubt if there could have been actual some reality of them existing. So we're kind of excluding things like folklore. So I consider things like the manticore and the sphinx and stuff like that. But those are like pretty strictly, you know, mythology or whatever. Some people probably believe that they'll see them. But, you know, we're trying to stick to stuff that there's more of a culture around actual sightings and, uh, you know, debate of what the nature of their reality is. Yeah, we're kind of trying to usely use the definition of what a cryptid is. Um, according very, to Merriam, very loosely. <laughs> very loosely. Merriam-Webster has it that a cryptid is an animal such as Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. So there must be some kind of claim out there that this is a real thing. And I think that's where the mythology gets a little bit loose. I will say, one of the things on my list maybe treads into mythology a little bit. But there are legitimate people who say that they've seen it. So it was enough for me to be able to uh, count it because it's one of my things. Yeah, I'd say all of them kind of toe the line a little bit because the human, you know, I mean, obviously we have not created an actual taxonomy or um, which is a, like a category of definitions, you know, that have outlined the actual characteristics of these creatures. So technically all of this is unknown and we're throwing shots in the dark, even if these things could be real, some basis in reality, you know what I mean? So there's a good chance that even if there are real things that made them happen that we don't know about, they might not be the things that we've described them as. Mm -hmm. Because also I just had to ask, did you learn in your sociology class that dictionary definitions are not culturally relevant a lot of the time? Well, very much so in sociology. Just That's because, what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah, in a field like sociology, we sort of see connotations as being the reality rather than what's ever written in the dictionary. And it's more about what uh, these words come to mean and are interpreted by an average yeah. person rather yeah, than what they are actually written as. But to be yeah. fair, I think the cryptid definition sort of does fit at least what my connotation has always fair been enough. about cryptozoology. So, yeah, you know, it works. was an easy enough definition to say, all right, this seems pretty okay. That's fair. I only say because in a philosophy paper, if you saw a Webster's Dictionary citation, you know? Yeah, not exactly <laughs> uh, uh, academically 
uh, perfect. As far, but no. listen, in, but in it is gra- good to cite it as a like I've used dictionary definitions like as part of my argument of a whole definition. So and that's how you're using it. I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm just being an academic snob. So <laughs> cool. Well, and in the Gravity Bros podcast, we're constantly reading off the cryptid wiki because it's funny, right? In some ways, like a lot of these creatures are it's terrible. That's I'm terrible. not just gonna. <laughs> You know, I have literal, like, I've looked up journal articles for every single creature of mine because I like science and accuracy. I mean, that's great. You know, for me, it's just that this is such a fun thing that I sort of like poking at it with almost, like, non-real sources to be like, oh, look how silly this is. You know, it's for me, it's just part of the fun. Ooh, look how this Bigfoot takes the smoke of a cigarette right after the shoot. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, so, look. Cryptozoology is a complicated field. There are some people that take it very seriously. I like to think that we take it seriously with levity, where we just consider it like kind of a cool thing to talk about. It's fascinating. Well, I think there are genuinely tons of things that people don't know about. Like, obviously, human knowledge is not infinite, and our sliver of reality is extremely tiny in the scheme of things. You know, so I think there's a tons tons of stuff that we don't know about. I think a lot of the things that get popularized happen to be a little silly, but I do think there's a lot of real weird stuff out there. Sure. And uh, let me just say, because I know a lot of you probably listen to the podcast because you enjoy Gravity Falls. At the end of this episode, when we're done talking about like these ultimate journal four choices, uh, we'll go ahead and tease some bonus podcasts that we might be thinking about during the hiatus or could come after the show is over uh, as far as, you know, what the Gravity Falls universe might offer what we do in the future. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I'm pulling up my scholarly articles to make sure that they're prepared. Good. I'm glad that you are uh, getting ready to go. Well, I mean, the reason is because a lot of, like, the monsters are actually, like, culturally appropriated from, like, genuine, like, cultural history. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't want to be like, ooh, this creature is so silly when it's like, wow, this was literally, like, one of the spirit guides of this c- culture. You know what I mean? So I think accuracy is important to pay homage to, you know, cultures that originally created a lot of these things. So Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. Um, And I am certain that some of the things I'm going to talk about today probably come from some really awesome lore and have now been, like, adapted to be, oh, and, uh, ooh, this is a spooky little thing that might be real. And I I understand what you mean. I I think that there's going to be an element of that, and it's something that we should probably just say could influence maybe everything here to some degree. Yes. Yes. Cryptozoology is a white science. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go ahead and get started here. So um, we're using StreamYard to do this, and uh, we're sort of, in a way, streaming, even though y'all aren't going to be able to see it. Oh, I'm going to be the logo. That reminds me. We're going to be testing Wait. out kind of a neat feature here. Ooh, a nature, as Alec would maybe call it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's that's what, yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so you guys get to see all of the things that I edit out <laughs> of my typical videos of our typical videos. <laughs> oh God, excuse me. All right, check this out. So uh, look at how much work I put into the main slide. Uh, this is more just a placeholder, to be honest. Um. I wanted to talk about some honorable mentions that I thought about, because I'm just very passionate about this field. I have been for a long time. And uh, yeah. there's maybe some that uh, I, I guess are just fun to very quickly mention, but I don't know enough about to really like delve into. Uh, 
I found a really awesome website that I totally think some of you should check out if you want to follow along with some of this. Um, just look up the most famous mythical creature of every U.S. state, and you're going to find a lot of the fun little things uh, that I came across. Um, I think that, Lucas, you probably went uh, more of a route where you took some international choices. I kind of like local legends, so a lot of the U.S. creatures sort of like resonate with me. Yeah, I actually think that I only have one that's actually native to the U.S., and it's an indigenous one. Interesting. So, so yeah, <laughs> we'll get into all that. And there's also some that may have been seen in the U.S., but are also cited in some way in international places. So here, here's just some inter uh, sorry, uh, here's just some honorable mentions for me. Colossal Clyde. Uh, <laughs> briefly, I had to add this one because it is the lake monster of Oregon or river monster or something like that. Is this Lucas supposed to be in the Columbia? It totally is. This is a monster that's supposed to be in the Columbia River. Wow. Um, by now, you all know that I'm moving to Oregon to be around Lucas, and uh, knowing that there is a cryptid within the state that I'm about to go live, that's just very fun. I don't think that there's a lot of reputability to the Claude sightings. He hasn't been sighted in a very long time, as far as I know. Um, don't know about yeah. reputable I, pictures. I don't know if the Columbia is clean enough to support a creature like that anymore, to be honest. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but... <laughs> When I was uh, doing a road trip to help my friends move to Seattle a little while ago, me and my friend Kayla were in the car and we were like, ooh, let's take a video pretending to have seen Claude or like take a picture or something. So wow, I, I took a picture That's really funny. Of, of the river and then I sent to our big group chat of lots of our um, friends. I was like, oh my God, guys, I was looking for Colossal Claude in the river and I found it. I think, that, or I think that we saw Colossal Claude. And they're like, okay, yeah, Allie. You're like, no, I'm serious. I think that I saw a sea monster in the river. Guys, this is a totally legitimate thing. And they're like, Alec, we know you very well. And this is fake. I was like, you have to believe me. It's a real thing. And my fiance being so nice because she's the greatest ever. And she humors me in all of my eccentric endeavors. We're just like, wow, you got to go back and take a picture. Like she was being so nice about it. And I was waiting for just one person to humor me enough to say, wow, this is real. So that I can send a picture with a like fake drawn thing with a dot eye that I just created uh, to send to the group chat. And I, I feel so bad because <laughs> she was so nice to just like give me the time of day when everybody else. Was, and I was like, well, I feel like I sort of um, just. <laughs> did you not send went, the picture? Oh, of course I did. Oh, okay, I, good. <laughs> I was just waiting for the one person <laughs> to take the bait. Um, oh my gosh. So Jeez. Kayla and I were sitting there laughing in the car. Kayla's like, no, you got to be serious. You can't let them know that this is fake. So we didn't. We took it very seriously. That's, um, that's delightful. <laughs> that's delightful. Anyway, uh, so Colossal Claude, everybody. Um, let me see. I, oh, I see uh, how we can sort of like take this on and off. That's cool. Let me go yeah. ahead and pull up uh, next honorable mention. Dover Demon. Um. This is one that the cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman has been very passionate about researching. And it only got one. seen, it, yeah, it got seen one night. Um, and it, it looks kind of like this. This is what was described by all of the witnesses. The problem that I have with this, even though it's a really fun story and it's got a super cool and creepy design and there's really neat lore around it. It's been studied for a long time. All three sightings were like teenagers who knew each other at school. So it just seems so unlikely to me that there's a world where all of them like actually genuinely saw this thing separately. Like people have tried to make cases for why it makes sense. And there's been like a lot done, but just that fact alone, I personally can't get over it enough yeah. to humor it and put it on my top five list, which is why it didn't make it. 
Cool you story know, though. Worth, worth good, researching. A good friend of mine always says, wait, if you don't think about it too hard. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Have you heard of the Dover a lot Demon of a little bit? Uh, I just Googled it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it seems like what you said. It seems like teenagers made it up. <laughs> but it's still super funny. And, uh, you know, I like the name, cool. too. The Dover oh, yeah, Demon. Sounds good. I liked the design. Whoever drew it was very creative. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that there are... Like, I, I looked into the Hopskinville Goblins, actually. That, that incident. Um, that yes. was one that I was considering. And uh, it, honestly, very similar looking design. Might as well just pull up the same picture. Um, and that one, I, when I was reading about it, they like dismissed it as like, the, the story that I read was that these like, these farmers had these like circus family people that were in for the weekend and happened to leave the morning after saying the aliens came back. Um, and in all honesty, like it seems when I re read the story on both, I actually spent way too much time researching all of this stuff. Everybody, like I was reading academic papers. I was not skimming. I was reading the lore of all of these creatures. I was considering my list is messy, <laughs> but uh, there was actually some back and forth where like the people in the story seemed like genuinely spooked. Then again, there was actually a meteor shower. So they think that the meteor shower, like, you know, that's right. Spooked him. So I, I could see, I could, I could see, I could, it's fun. It's a good one to think about. I like yeah, stuff Hop like this. Hopskinville Goblins, another cool story to look up. The problem being that it was just seen at this one house where allegedly these goblin alien type creatures just invaded this one family. And because it was just seen by that collective group, it's so easy to just say, oh, like y'all made this up as a collective story and have stuck to it. Or, um, or like, just actually didn't know what was going on. I think it was more likely a case of misidentification because they, they seemed genuinely convinced and spooked. And I don't think you can make some of that stuff up. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's always a thing with some of these. Um, really quick. Uh, the Thunderbird got very close to making my list. Um, Me too. The, speaking of what you said where some uh, creatures have kind of been appropriated to come from myth. Yeah, this uh, is an indigenous... This is indigenous folklore, 100%. Exactly. So this is Native American folklore, which is actually what interests me the most about it. Um, yeah, North Dakota is not accurate. Let's just say yeah. that right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the thing is, it's also been seen very much like on the West Coast side. So don't look at the state too hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the story is that the this is a bird that would show up during storms. And when it clapped its wings, it could like create thunder, which is mm -hmm. an awesome like folk mythology story that i just love to hear about you know, um, when it clapped its thighs it shook the earth no, i'm just kidding <laughs> it's the, the reason that thunderbird almost made my list i don't i haven't gotten to talk about this on the podcast yet and i might if this comes up when we rate it i've seen a thunderbird at least my interpretation of one wait what um i'm not making this up so oh, i remember like, we, we, when we were kids there was this huge bird that flew over our house in northern california and for the longest time, I assumed it was a California condor, which is That's like the I biggest thought. bird. But they're what really I didn't know. They're endangered. In, well, yeah, what I didn't know until recently is that by the time I'd seen it, California condor had been extinct in the wild for many years. Wait so in, unless there was a California condor that was unidentified, um, people, this thing was gigantic. It was way bigger than any bird I can imagine being. And even the California condor I looked at, and it seemed bigger to that, than that in my head. Obviously, I was a kid, so there's going to be a scale difference where you're a kid, you see one thing, and that definitely like makes it harder to believe. Um, well, I, I only saw a shadow, too. Oh, you were there with me. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I saw the bird. Okay, yes, I saw the bird itself. I saw the shadow because I was I was looking inside because we were inside, right? I remember. No, no, inside. I was I was definitely outside. Oh, okay, I remember being inside and seeing like a big. I mean, I was three years younger than him. Everybody, so bear in mind my my memory is probably worse for other reasons too. But uh, my uh, I I do remember seeing like a huge shadow flying over the house, and it was like almost like a. Well, I can't say it was almost like a plain shadow. That's the, that's why I was I was gonna bring that up because I'm like shadow distance doesn't equate to size necessarily, so I, I couldn't actually say. Yeah, a lot of Thunderbird sightings have been mistaken for like turkey vultures, and when I looked at a picture, I did see that those things have really big wingspans and their feathers line up in a way that looks Thunderbirdish, even though their faces don't really look like it. So I think that that's cool. it's probably the most logical explanation that it could have been a turkey vulture, but I gotta say like. To this day, I don't really know what I saw. And it was way bigger than I can picture a bird being in, a like, the wild in California. So, you know, just a fun little thing. It is California, man. Maybe maybe it was a private collector. <laughs> God, who knows? You know? then, okay, and this one, I only learned about this today, which is why I couldn't, with my good conscience, right. let it make the list. But the freaking Spectre Moose in That's Maine. Awesome. Dude, it's so cool. It's a, a giant, like, moose that appears in Maine, and it apparently is like a ghost where people will see it and it will just fade into the background. And the rumor or the myth is that it can bring itself back to full uh, full visual or, Dude, or it that can just, fade back that, into ghost form. That just reminds me of that Invader Zim episode with the moose in space that we watched like way back when. You know yes. what I'm talking about? Oh my I do. gosh, dude. <laughs> uh such a fun myth, though, of Maine, you know, Maine of all places to have uh, some kind of a creature like this to be within their lore. And what I've kind of learned going through this, every state has their local legends. Isn't that just a fun thing? You know, not just state, but countries and yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it is cool. I, I, I did think a lot of these local legends. I Let's get into our uh, our former list if you don't have any more honorable mentions, because I've got... No, that's great. And because I've been talking about my honorable mentions a lot, let me go ahead and get to you. Now, before I do that, are there any more that you wanted to mention that nearly made the list outside of the Hopskinville Goblins? Yeah, I didn't say unicorns or dragons, because as much as I'd like to believe... <laughs> It's more, uh, it's more in your hearts kind of thing. And again, like I've made a case on the show, especially the podcast before for like any creature of the mind being possible in a multiple dimension, but like, I'm still, I'm grasping for straws for some of those. I won't lie. So I, I wasn't using that logic for any of this really. That's fair. Listen, the cryptid wiki has a few dragon believers. I think I've seen that set. Oh, I'm like, sure. yeah, I'm sure. I, I, actually, I have a, a dragon light creature. I've got close. Wait, what? I had a dragon-like creature on there. I got close. Oh, we'll, we'll oh like creature. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, um, here we go. Lucas is number five. El yeah. Chupacabra. <laughs> I don't know if that's the picture I would go with, but yeah, the Chupacabra's a very artistic design. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the Chupacabra here, let me pull up my science. So, the folklore of, Chup of Chupacabra examines the origins of the Chupacabra and how it spreads around the world, particularly by showing how it was influenced by traditional vampire lore and embraced by pop culture. So, the reason that I kind of chose this one is because this is like a quintessential modern cryptid that, like, is n doesn't actually have, like, roots in much other history, right? This was something that was started, uh, I think, I believe the first, hold on, let me just make sure this is right. Do, 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 I believe the first sightings were actually in Puerto Rico. 
And then there were more that uh, started to spread in New Mexico and then upwards into North America or further into North America. Um, and the legend of the Chupacabra usually shows, um, you know, some kind of like vampire-like activity where this creature kind of like attacks cattle and drains their blood. And there actually have been real uh, accounts of like legitimately like things like cattle, you know, having like weird bites and having blood drain. And there are like theories of, you know, uh, I mean, certain, certain like bugs and bats and stuff that could have done. I don't think bats actually could do that, but you were saying the thing about this one on a believability scale is that this cattle mutilations in this weird way with like weird teeth marks and blood drain and that stuff has happened a lot. Like there's a lot of cases of this mysteriously happening without an explanation. Yeah, and the reason I really like this one is because this is one of those things for me where, like, they, they, they create this creature, this little picture here, but, in, you know, this could, this could be a, a case of, like, this could be something alien, this could be, like, a natural phenomenon that we don't know about, you know, there could be some, like, there's um, evidence, or not evidence, but there's, like, cultural implications of, like, witchcraft and of, like, people doing this, and, like, I think people being into dark magic is also kind of a weird thing. Um, sure. Well, like you could go into like some weird Mothman mentality with stuff like that too, um, and uh, like Goatman and all those like hybrids. You know, there there's weird stuff that that could be drawn, and I think Chupa, the Chupacabra folklore is really interesting because, you know, it was one that started being seen in the '90s and gained popularity, uh, you know, and, and started you know making it essentially as one of the most well-known cryptids out there. And I think that's kind well, of a cool story. And for some of these, I tried to pull pictures that people say they have taken of these beasts. So here's Ooh. a picture that somebody say they think wow. is potentially an El Chupacabra type. And it is described similar to this, where it's like a coyote dog-like thing that seems yeah. like particularly vicious. Um, you know, part yeah. of the lore that goes around it is that this thing does like suck blood. Like it's almost vampire-ish mm -hmm. in that way. Um, so when this... Uh, they claim Picture it has wings though and flies too. Some people do. Yeah, yeah. There's different way or different um types of explanations. Uh, you know, you could look at something like this and also say it could just be like a manged dog or different things. I'm not saying that this is like pinnacle proof of a chupacabra, but this is like a famous photo that people attribute. Like maybe this could be um or something like it. So I thought that might be fun to pull. It, that it, it does look like a dog, definitely. Yes. Or some, is, some relation to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are things like that where I'd be like, man, can you imagine if they discovered, like, this crazy cryptid? Like, can you imagine if they discovered a Bigfoot? It was, like, actually just, like, a pretty, like, endangered North American monkey that nobody knew really I, existed. Well, I think that that's a possible explanation for a lot of things. It's just unknown animals that haven't quite been discovered, which yeah. is not as far-fetched as you might think, because we have yeah. animals that have been discovered after the fact, you know? Like the Okapi, my favorite animal! Yes, the Okapi was a legit cryptid where people said, oh yeah, the ghost of the forest. Like, there's this thing with zebra legs and uh, a horse. I gotta show an Okapi. Horse, though, or whatever. Yeah, if you can find one, um, feel free to pull it up. You know uh, I can find one. Oh, yeah. Here. Um, you know, the Okapi is probably the most famous example of something that was a cryptid and turned out to be real. I think the other good example is a coelacanth. The only difference being people knew that the coelacanth was a dinosaur that existed back in the day, at least. Like, there were skeletal remains of it and things. Um, and some fishermen just pulled one up, which is kind of insane. Okapi! Yeah. 
Oh, and you're right. I want to look up the oarfish too, because that's also a really cool one. Oh, the oarfish or the coelacanth? Oh, oh, the oarfish was also considered like a, a sea monster because it's like the biggest. I'm trying to find the original. It takes it took like 27 uh, fishermen to hold this thing. Yeah, look at this picture, dude. See how big this are, thing is? Uh, it hasn't popped up yet. Are you on the same tab? Low. But let me just reshare it. I don't. I, I was on the same tab, but it didn't want to show it. Still, I'm still seeing the Okapi. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm trying to get rid of this. Oh, okay. okay I don't okay, know why okay, this cool. is happening. Do, do, do. Quality entertainment 101. Trying to share my screen to show an oarfish. So an oarfish was essentially considered to be like... Um, you see now? I can. Uh, let's add this to the stream. Wow. Yeah, so that's an oarfish technically. It's like this enormous fish, naturally. Like, look how big that head is. This was considered to be like a sea monster for a really long time. Uh, and then when it was discovered, they're like, wow, this could have been actually an answer for a sea monster if anybody had seen it. Um, and usually it's a deep sea fish, but like if they were ever breached up or something like that. So. Cool. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for sharing. I'm going to get yeah. into my number five. Let's do it. The Loveland Frogman of Ohio. All right, dude. I had to throw at least one super wild one on here. Um, I am a big fan of humanoid frogs. Mr. Toad is famously my favorite cartoon character. Um, I Or I guess I shouldn't say cartoon character. Character in general. Because he's in Wind in the Willows and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Anyway, you get it. Um, I get it. I didn't know. That's cool. Yes, this is a frog that was originally seen in like 1975 or 1972 off the side of a road. And the original person who saw it said that it was holding some kind of a wand that cast sparks from it as uh, they noticed this creature. Um, That's awesome. It's so cool. Um, let Dude, me just read like I want a what little, they're having. I'm just kidding. I'll read a little bit description myself. And I should note that my sources are not as academic as Lucas's. Um, <laughs> but... In 1972, the Loveland frog legend gained renewed attention. Oh, so I guess it had been rumored before that. Uh, when a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with descriptions of the frogman. Uh, after a reported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same creature some weeks after the 1972 incident and identified it as a large iguana that was missing its tail. However, many years later, the officer admitted that was a hoax. Um so this was actually a follow-up to the original story of somebody having seen it on the side of the road originally. First um, of all, did that mean this guy just shot an iguana to make a hoax? Because if that's no, true... Okay, he didn't good. shoot anything. The entire thing was uh, made up. However, um, this is not the only time that uh, this thing was seen. Oh, yeah. We're here. So I guess uh, also 1972, part of this, because it was like a flurry of incidents that probably made this hoax come up. Um, but yeah, the person said that an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in the headlights, and he described it as three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. Uh, and he reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. Um, uh, so this is just a really silly thing that has continued to be cited. It had a new sighting in 2016. Um, yeah. so, and this is from a person who said that they were just playing Pokemon Go. 
Uh, ah, it was, so, the, it was, uh, it was Greninja he was looking at, clearly. Ah, <laughs> nice. You know, is there a chance that this thing is real? Very unlikely. Um, dude, but, can you, can you imagine playing Pokemon Go and you're like, oh, hey, a Politoed, and you look up and there's a frog monster standing in front of you? Oh, <laughs> you're like, right. ah, I don't have a real Pokeball! Crap! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, listen. This thing was photographed. Actually, there was a video. This is part of the video that was taken. Check it <gasps> out. Whoa. Yes. Whoa! This is you that was what? allegedly waiting in the water. <laughs> Dude, that looks, like so that looks like something that I'm going to talk about on my list, actually. That's nuts. Yes. And I love the... Not the, the drawing. Uh, the drawing is just <laughs> silly. But the thing to the left of it. <laughs> it's such a like gross illustration next to the actual picture i will um, say i don't know i don't think the reflection in the water is accurate but uh, um it be me and i should also mention that this thing is like a touched up version of what was a more dark picture which is a good thing to mention anytime you show an image like this so ah uh <laughs> isn't it your hey i have i hey hey i have i looked through those i have that exact card i have all of them uh, yes. so this is my number four, the Kongamoto. Um, I have science one moment. I, I liked reading through all of these creature cards because they have fun stuff, but they don't actually have any citations. So I actually can't really accept anything that they say, unfortunately. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I found this is probably the least academic. I, I had a hard time finding journal articles about the Kongamoto because this is definitely not one of the most popular cryptids out there. Um, but I did find an article that cites a um, book from Frank Wellen, who was an explorer that was looking at uh, uh, exploring Africa in 1932. In this book, Which Bound Africa? Questionable, not going to lie. Again, discovered by a white man. So let's all take this with a grain of salt. He didn't know. Maybe <laughs> he was taking some jungle juice. We don't know what's going on. But uh, no, I, I'm totally joking, though. I think that this is a really interesting one. Let me just read this for you guys. Yeah. Uh, the, the Kongamoto is described as a large reddish creature with leathery wings devoid of feathers. Eyewitnesses who are shown an illustration of the pterodactyl unanimously agree to the identification of the Kongamoto. The evidence for the, this is a quote from the, the Explorer. The evidence for the pterodactyl is that the natives can describe it so accurately, unprompted, and they all agree on this definition. There's negative support also in the fact that they said they could not identify any other of the prehistoric monsters which I've shown them. I don't know what prehistoric monsters this guy was showing these people. I imagine that they were very hysterical drawings and they're just like, nah, dude, that's not real. You're crazy. But there are big <laughs> birds. There's big birds. That's a thing. Um, anyway, uh, the natives do not consider it to be an unnatural thing like a demon or a malombe, only a very awful thing like a man-eating lion or a rogue elephant, but a little bit worse because it's like a flying monster. I included the, because it's like a flying monster part. You didn't write that. I have mentioned the, oh shoot, I can't pronounce stuff. I've mentioned the Juindu Swamp in northwestern Zambia as one of the reputed haunts of the Kongamoto. And I must say that the place itself is very kind of, this is a very kind of place in which such a reptile might exist if it is possible anywhere. Um, and then it also goes on to talk about a different citation from other uh, writers that explored the area at the time. Um, where there are other, uh, actually lots of different uh, uh, accounts of uh, the local people talking about it being 
a present in their culture. And that's the part that makes me think it's interesting because like the, these reports all came from the early twenties and thirties, which was also when poaching was like super unregulated and we lost a lot of animals. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I could see that this could have just been an endangered animal straight up and was hunted to death. Maybe even like a huge bat or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'm actually kind of inclined to think that this one was actually real. Yeah, and this came up in one of the Gravity Bros episodes. We actually ranked the Kangamoto, or Kangamoto, either way. And uh, it definitely got a higher rating than a lot of things. Because the possibility of there being an unknown bird in this area that has, you know, partially been unexplored is semi-plausible um or like you said a big bat i think is maybe the most likely thing and yeah. uh you know you you mentioned uh zambia also congo and angola have had sightings of this thing yeah and and um, also the okapi was from the congo and was discovered i think like 20-ish years after that even um so there's and and i think the coelacanth was actually yeah this was saying that the coelacanth was actually off the coast of there too so you know i think if there's a dense jungle that hasn't been explored quite as much on this planet this would be the one uh, in my opinion and, maybe the amazon too. It, the amazon's pretty insane it could also have been one of those creatures that you know hadn't been identified or it was very rare and it went extinct around the same time that, that some of that was starting to happen so yeah i don't think that it's a pterosaur necessarily um but on the note of it being a pterosaur which is what a lot of people say i did pull up a picture of one of the most famous uh, hoaxes in cryptozoology which oh, really? was an a alleged civil war photo of people having hunted down a pterosaur which a lot of people believed for a very long time this That's is a awesome. fake picture i want to make sure that people understand that before i pull it up um but it fooled a lot of people for a long time dude that's awesome it looks really obviously photoshopped to me like you can tell that the quality of the hand of the middle guy is completely different from the quality of the rest of the picture you know what i mean Believe like the, it light, or not, the lighting is I different the i'm about 75 percent sure that this was actually a movie prop as opposed to a photoshop job are you serious um, i think so i'm not 100 percent sure on that um, but I believe that the movie prop can, you can still find oh, it man. somewhere. Uh, but I, yeah, it does look like there's some weird things about the photo to me. So I'm not willing to say that hundred percent. Um, there's other photos similar to this too. So I might have it confused with another photo. That's also a hoax, but yeah, I there's wish... multiple things like this. Uh, I wish I knew. No, no, you could tell. I see one. If you look in the left corner, the edge of the pterodactyl's wing is blurred out and doesn't match up with the rest for the rest. The bottom left just goes a little bit too far to the left. Am I, That's am, interesting. Am I, am I, I see what chat? you're seeing. No. There's no chat. We're, we're enlisting this. Am I crazy, everyone? I feel like there's a blur there. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Corridor Crew, so I'm probably not actually accurate at all. I'm just a fan of special effects. <laughs> interesting. Well, I'm going to go ahead and skip to my uh, number four. And that's the Yeti, which I just think is one of the greatest cryptids that could possibly exist. And, you know, we're going to talk about some obscure ones here, obviously. But there's also some that inspired my love of this field and, you know, this idea of unknown animals. And I'd say that Bigfoot and Sasquatch are a couple of those, right? And uh, the Yeti, the reason I like this one of all of the Bigfoot creatures, even though we've got, like, Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest, and I think that's great, or Sasquatch, however you want to say it. Um, yeah. The Yeti has an interesting origin story to me where it's allegedly in the mountains of Nepal and the Himalayas. And yeah. knowing that 
is very fun because most of the sightings come from Sherpas and in areas where most humans never cross, which gives it some kind of plausible uh, deniability for me in a way. Uh, and I think that there's a couple other like lore reasons that make this one of my favorites. One being the ride Matterhorn in Disneyland was a ride that Lucas and I loved growing up. And there is a Yeti in that ride. Fun fact, his name is Harold. And then in Disney World, Expedition Everest uh, is one of the greatest rides ever in Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Also, my fiance works there, so there's a little bit of connection. Um, The queue line has all of these authentic artifacts from Nepal and Sherpas, and some of which are like stories about people seeing Yeti, Yeti's... um, You'll see this picture of Josh Gates from Destination Truth is a very famous um, footprint that was allegedly found um, in the area when he was filming an episode of Destination Truth. And most of these shows, they walk away and don't find anything. This is one of the only times I can remember where uh, something was actually kind of located. So I'm not saying I think that it's real or that uh, they actually got a footprint or anything, but this is also in the queue of Expedition Everest, which I thought was fun. I also wanted to show people a picture of Harold from... I love uh, it. From Disneyland. Uh, this is just uh, the prop version of him, but he looks like that in the ride as well uh, with the bobsled. There's also an excellent novel called Lost Horizon, if anybody's heard of that. And even though there's Ooh. no Yeti in it proper, it's a story about a plane that crashes in in uh, the Himalayas. And, uh, you know, them kind of having a sort of mystical experience afterwards. So I think there's... there's uh, I like the idea that there's some magic going on up there. Magic, of course, being defined as some spooky shiz we don't know about. <laughs> I, I love it, too. Um, and then I just wanted to mention, like, Bigfoot in general, because this is a picture of me and my dad at the North American Bigfoot Center when I got to visit Lucas in Oregon, and this shirt is actually from there, too. So, you know, all of the Bigfoot creatures, I think, are just a very fun little thing, and I thought they were worth shouting out. I like it. I like it. I still haven't been to that museum. All right, the Wendigo. Okay, so this was one of the ones that I was talking about being appropriated. Um, So I really wanted to talk about this one because uh, we can talk about indigenous culture, and I think that's an awesome thing. So let me pull up my science. So, okay, so when I was trying to find accurate information about the Wendigo from, like, actual indigenous folklore, it's really difficult because a lot of it was in um what language was it algonquian i can't pronounce um i've only read things i've never spoken so um so a lot of it is lost in the a lot of it is lost in um a lot of translations and stuff and one of the most regularly cited accounts of um what was studied in indigenous culture was by this person margaret atwood um who wasn't really uh, like an anthropologist or anything. She was a Canadian. She was an amazing human being for a lot of reasons. Uh, Novelist, Canadian poet, essayist, teacher, environmental activist, inventor. So she did a lot of really cool stuff. Um, But I just feel like that's important when I'm reading this one because I'm not sure exactly how accurate this is. And uh, when you're studying stuff about indigenous cultures in, in America specifically, a lot of it gets lost. So let's see what we get here. Sure. So, in their indigenous versions, this is a quote from Margaret Atwood. Uh, In their indigenous versions, Wendigo legends and stories are confined to the eastern woodlands and largely to Aquilonian-speaking peoples, again, sorry if I mispronounced that, such as Woodland Cree and Ojibwe. 
But this native legend has infiltrated non-native literature and is uh, widely cross-pollinated uh, over and beyond the original boundaries. In the words of Atwood, the Wendigo is, among other things, a giant creature with a heart and sometimes an entire body of ice and prodigious strength. It can travel as fast as the wind. That's the end quote. It's also cannibalistic eating, preferably the members of the same family, and it is often generally seen as a personification of winter or hunger or spiritual selfishness. Um, and I really, really, really love a lot of this because, A, I think there's a lot of well, – I, I took a Native American philosophy class, and one of the philosophies that I learned about them reading – and I also learned uh, read about this in um, the teachings of Don Juan – uh, by Carlos Castaneda, who's an anthropologist who went and studied uh, shamanism uh, with indigenous cultures. And uh, a, a lot of people or a lot of uh, cultures would believe that uh, there were spirits is what they would define them as were creatures that lived par essentially parallel universes in a place that was like right next to us, but we couldn't see it. And they considered them like these different spiritual planes of existence, right? Um, and I like kind of in my head, putting puzzle pieces together, liking the idea that there's this like ice creature, you know, kind of almost like I'll bring this up again because I really like this picture. Um, kind of like the uh Bigfoot in terms of its design, but a little bit more metaphysical. It's got this, you know, it, it's like the essence of winter. It's got, you know, it says here that it's got the ability to control weather. That seems like some made up stuff personally, but um, you know, I love the image of this as you know you know, kind of not like when I see things like spirits, I like it to make sense and have some connection to nature and stuff like that. When somebody's just like, I saw a monster. It's like, okay, you know what I mean? But when somebody's like, there's this creature that is responsible for the directions or like is responsible for some sort, like some sort of cold, you know, malicious, selfish feeling that you get in the heat of winter. I like that idea that there's maybe this like, you know, kind of spooky creature out there that's like, you know, messing with your emotions or messing with nature a little bit. And it's like a spirit that actually subtly guides our reality that we can't really know about. You know what I mean? So something on that, and I, I pulled this picture up first because I know that this is the version that you and I came to know when we think of the Wendigo, because we yeah. have this card from the Weird Wild yeah. Creatures Collective. But you're talking about the ice, the storm part of this. And, uh, did you know that DuckTales did a Christmas episode with a depiction of the Wendigo that matches that, like, exactly? And it's no. very, very fun. That's oh, yeah, very dude. cool. You know, I've heard it said that in Over the Garden Wall uh, that that there's the, the main villain is modeled after the Wendigo, too. Interesting. It, I think there's some amazing mythos with the Wendigo, which is extremely fun. And I really liked that you picked that as one of your choices. Yeah. Um, I almost wanted to pick it myself, but I kind of knew that it was going to be on yours because yeah, uh, I know that it's always been one of your favorites. Um, so uh, that, that's a great one. Man. So my number three is definitely the one that treads the most into myth over cryptid territory, but I'm very excited uh, to share it with people. And this is the Menahune of Hawaii. Um, so I got cool. to visit. Yeah, I got to visit Hawaii um, not too long ago. And the Menahune was uh, a part of the culture that came up in a lot of different places the, that we visited. And, you know, maybe some of that is because they understand that it's a bit of a, a tourist uh, thing that people enjoy learning about. But basically, the Menahune are a mythological race of dwarf people in, the, in Hawaiian tradition who are said to live in deep forests and hidden valleys of the Hawaiian islands. 
hidden and far away from the settlements. Um, they have allegedly been sighted by people, but the people who say they've seen them say that they're literally like a couple inches tall. So the idea is that they're like these very, very tiny creatures that um, maybe cause mischief, maybe like fix things on the island. Uh, it's a fascinating myth to me, regardless of whether it's realistic for it um, to be real or not. But uh, my fiance and I, we went to um, the Alani Resort and something that the Disney Alani Resort has there, they hide little menahunes all over there. And there's like over 200 of them. And we spent an entire day looking and found over a hundred. So it's got like a little bit of a close place in my heart where the, the picture on the right, by the way, is uh, one of the Menahune that's hidden in the Alani resort. Um, I just have a love for uh, the culture of it. It also sort of um, brings me to Lilo and Stitch, a series that you and I loved so much growing up uh, in the way that the experiments in a way, I almost think of Menahune's. And uh, I don't know. It's one of those that, like, uh, the lore of it all fascinates me so much that I'd say it would be very low if I were to rank it as far as believability that these things are real. But it, it's got enough there, you know, where I can't rule anything out. Who knows? Um, and I, I just thought that that might be a, a fun one to bring up. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Oh, it's really interesting. I'm definitely – I'm reading about it right now. Yeah, it seems like um... – because the Hawaiian culture is really interesting because obviously, like, uh, there were settlers that, like, landed there and kind of just made it a part of the U.S., you know what I mean? And their queen, like, like, like made a deal with the queen and essentially, like, stole the culture and started selling, you know, you know how it is. Um, so, like, I know a lot of people think that fire spinning came from Hawaii, but that's actually not true. That was, like, people brought it from festival culture to Hawaii under the guise that it was Polynesian. And it was actually a, Samo a Samoan knife spinner that first spun fire. Um, so it came from Samoa. Fun fact, the more you know. Uh, but this seems like it definitely has like genuine Hawaiian mythology. Um, and uh, yeah, like there seems like there's Hawaiian traditions of the story of how lava came to Hawaii and that the Menahune gradually began to change and grow larger and emerged um, with the lava is what I'm reading on this one website. So that's kind of interesting. I like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, dude, it's very fun. Like this is another one that I think is worth a little bit more research if people are into this type of, uh, folklore, you know, they're said to have been there like before the Hawaiian settlers and, uh, you know, or they're, it's such a small thing that it's the kind of thing that if there really were like little small, uh, creatures, even if they were maybe like little animals that people associated as, uh, looking small like there's all kinds of different things that you could squint and maybe see how something like that could sneak into um culture that we didn't understand at the time it is no longer there so i don't know um not saying again that it's very likely but it's a very very cool thing to think about and i love hawaiian culture um it's uh very interesting to me excuse me all right you ready for your all next right. one yeah okay so uh, I'm just going to pull up. Before you, are you sure? Yeah. I was going to yeah, say, uh, I was wondering if you wanted to set the table with this one at all. Oh, I'm definitely um, setting the table. I've got okay. my, I've got all the silverware laid out. All right. So do you want to just pull up the picture and then we can yeah. talk it through? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So this is, these are called the machine elves, or I'll also call them, I'll lump in the same category, like jesters and stuff like that. So, um. So in psychedelic culture is what I will call it. Um, 
<laughs> before I, I delve into this, I will say like this, this is stuff that's reported through the use of psychedelic substances. And I really don't want to glorify or like encourage anything like that. Like I will be honest and say that I've had my experiences in the past and, you know, I won't talk more, really more about that, but like I have gotten what I felt like I ever needed out of it. And I'm not, I don't really touch with stuff like that anymore. But interestingly enough, there are very commonly reported creatures um, when people go to these weird places. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's so woo wooey that like, it's so hard to even talk about because the definitions are, you know, not really very finite. But something that is commonly experienced is that, uh, and I think was popularized by a particular researcher in psychedelics, Terrence McKenna, is that people will sometimes see these like um, elves that are like machine elves. They're working on the mechanics of the universe. And they're like these shape-shifting creatures that um, can sometimes interact with you and give you messages. And they seem to be somehow related to the inner functionings of the universe, whatever that means. Um, there are also people that describe, like, we see on the picture to the left, like, these cosmic gestures. Um, some people will describe them as, like, a positive experience, negative, scary, you know, everything across the board. Um, guaranteed, not everybody has similar experiences when doing crazy things like that. Um, so, like, I certainly wouldn't implore anyone to think, I could do a drug and this will happen. Definitely not a smart mentality, I can tell you right now. Um, and the cool thing about this, though, is that it is so commonly reported. And there are, you know, like little elves and stuff like Alec was just talking about in Hawaii. The what was it called? The, Mem the Menahune. The Menahune. And the idea that there are these like little elves and creatures and gnomes that are kind of like multidimensional is kind of what I like to think of when I hear about stuff like this. Um, Cause I've read a lot of stories about like out of body experiences, near death experiences and stuff like that. And like entities that people will meet in crazy psychedelic experiences like that. Um, when I say psychedelic experiences, I'm kind of including like meditation, you know, um, anything where you have some weird, you know, extra metaphysical experience really. And the thing is, I just, these creatures are so fascinating and I will not say that I've ever like spoken to a machine elf or anything like that. You know what I mean? Um, I've had some interesting experiences before, but um, nothing like that concrete, but I still think it's really interesting for, to hear about. Uh, and I think that there is something to it because I have had experiences that I've experienced some like way metaphysical stuff. And I'm like, yeah, there's like no way you could tell me that didn't happen. There's no way that wasn't real. You know what I mean? And I can understand people meeting some beings that are uh, in these different dimensions. And uh, I don't know what about it makes this exact same thing happen for so many people. It could be cognitive bias. You know, it could be the kind of thing that we've been talking about with like misidentification, where it's like you're seeing a, you know, you see a ghostly spirit that's empty. So you call it a ghost, even though it's not actually a dead body. It's an alien or it's a you know, multidimensional human. It's yourself in another lifetime. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that stuff like that could be. And I love that.
Sweet. Okay. So this is, of course, a complicated topic, right? And when we went into this, you asked, hey, yeah. well, because you went into it and you said, like, um, hey, do you think that this is an okay thing to talk about? And I said, yeah, to be honest, like, in our podcast, when you sort of allude to these Journal 4 creatures that might be on something like another plane, people have expressed to us, hey, like, I want to hear more about that. Like, don't worry too much about censoring it. And I was like, this is kind of a, a really cool platform for it, because the people who see this are going to be the ones dedicated enough to find this video in the first place, uh, for the most part. And I'm comfortable having uh, the conversation here. So I'm kind of going to be asking you questions based on what you think about it. Um, okay. I know very little. Yeah. And when you see something like this, where, you know, it's a it's an experience that is shared between a lot of people is this one of the only examples you know of that uh is oh, it rare no. to have one specific very specific thing that tons of people have tried and then see um, like in a similar actually, way i wouldn't say it's like the most common thing but like it's more common than you'd expect so like experiences with like um this thing called mother ayahuasca i've heard of ayahuasca is like the same chemical as dimethyltryptamine but you like drink it in like um a lot of like shaman uh ceremonies in south america and i've heard of people going to the amazon and having these experiences with shaman with trained people i would very much like to clarify not just some high school kids running around in the forest okay be smart um but uh you know, people would go to South America and have these, uh, you know, ritual experiences. And a lot of people uh, describe like a mother ayahuasca. And, you know, I think that the thing is like people also commonly report seeing Jesus. You know what I mean? Not to say that that's like less real than mother ayahuasca, but more so that there is a good chance that your cultural background has an influence on the things that you end up seeing. Um, okay. I will say that there are lots of commonly experienced things. I'll just be honest. One time I saw a fuck it. Right. One time I saw a seven foot tall blue alien descend to me in Lotus position, fully meditating. And after it happened, I opened my eyes. Everything felt completely peaceful. And I literally felt like I was just glowing with happiness for weeks. Wow. <laughs> and that I'm really simplifying that story. There's a lot more depth to it than that. Um, but because of stuff like that, I, those experiences, like, do I, am I going to say that I saw and interacted with an alien? That's too much of a conclusion for me to draw. You know what I mean? I can tell you what I saw and experienced and how I felt. I can't tell you what it was, but I'd be pretty shocked if it wasn't something is pretty much all I can say about it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I appreciate you sharing your experience on the show. Um, I realize that, you know, for some people, it's kind of a thing that's far out there, but yeah, uh, honestly, the it's, reasons... it's very normal in my culture. So I hope nobody's offended because like, you know, I don't think anybody should be like arrested for any of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like the fact that people are put in jail for drugs is so sad, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I won't get on my soapbox about it or anything, but don't, don't hate, please. I'm a sensitive sure. boy. Well, no, but for what it's worth, like, this is the kind of thing that you have researched extensively as an academic, like, from yeah. your background and everything. This isn't the kind of thing that, no, oh, you're true. like a stupid kid fooling around with entirely. So Entirely. Your, your Not entirely. <laughs> <laughs> and to your point, you know, you said at the beginning, this is not something that is, should be just messed around with, with people. 
by yeah, people. absolutely and, not. No, Estebro's Cartoon Theater genuinely does not advocate for any substance of any kind, like alcohol, even casual stuff. Even caffeine can mess with people. You know what I mean? Know your bodies and do yeah. lots of research before trying anything. Prescription drugs, like just be smart, guys. Sure, be mindful. Uh, but, I, but I do think it is interesting. You know, when we're delving into this world of potential unknown beasts and things, to have something that is a shared experience by people. You know, whether they're yeah. substance or not, it, it does like. I don't see why it could be less likely than um, a, a surviving pterodactyl. Yeah. Um, if anything, <laughs> it's more likely, right? I mean, that's, and, and psychedelic experiences are cross-cultural too. You know, like we have peyote in North America. We've got lotus ceremonies in uh, East Asia. You know, there's deter there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms grow like all over the planet and lots of different sure. cultures. You know, it's not just a crazy American or a crazy Western you know, youth culture thing. There's lots of reverence from lots of different cultures and have, you know, practices and they teach and it's part of shamanism. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's not something to tread lightly with by any means, but it's something that's interesting to research. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, because I think an important point on this too is that because drugs are so stigmatized by society, there's a lot of research scientifically that really could be done to try yeah. to understand what some of these things mean, but it can't be done because it's essentially illegal based on the classification of the drug. Yeah. Um, so now, I don't get to know what my alien being was. Thanks, the law. Sure. By the same logic, <laughs> you know, it because it's hard for science to research, it's also hard for people to research, which is why I want to like very yeah. much say you know, reaffirming what you said, this is not the kind of thing to mess around with. Like, oh, I want to have an experience. So I'm just going to do this. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, this yeah. is speaking the perspective of somebody who's never done anything and never wants to do anything. Lucas and I come from different experiences as brothers, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't shame him for anything that he's done. I think that he's learned a lot of lessons and I'm very proud of the person that he is. Yeah. Um, and same and for Alec. I don't, I'm not one of those guys that shames people for not having done stuff either. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. It's like every person has their individual choice. You know, it's the yeah. kind of thing that I don't understand well enough and I have no desire uh, to get into it. And that's fine. Yeah. Right. Whenever, Everybody has brain chemistry. Everyone's brain chemistry is different too. Like I, I could, you know, fall, when I smoke pot, I could like, you know, have a beautiful experience where I'm touching the ground and giggling and someone else could just throw up and have a panic attack. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you know, so it's, it's not something, none of that stuff is for everyone. 100%. Jeez. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, this was an interesting topic. I hope that people enjoyed it. We're going to go we, ahead and move on we, to the next thing. We had to get a little nuanced because, you know, just out of like, like uh, awareness of the cultural, you know, status that things like this are in. But, uh, you know, also depending on what country you're in, be careful about research too. You might want to have a VPN going or something. <laughs> Uh, sure. I mean. And also just be careful because it might be hard to find the right sources if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look for scholarly audit or look, look, look at Google Scholar and make sure you're doing research in like journals. Don't read like headline stuff and don't. Yes. I like Terrence McKenna. He's the guy who popularized this stuff, but he is a little nutty. He is a researcher. He is a scientist, but he definitely is a little nutty. So, you know, like Timothy Leary and those guys, like take them with a grain of salt. You look at all of cool. the science. I wanted to point out that this is your drawing on the right side and it's very good and you're a very talented artist. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was, I mean, this is like just, I didn't have an experience that's like that crazy. Well, not that I hadn't, but I didn't have that particular experience or anything like that. That's just kind of a rendition of like experiences that I've had before. And, and that little elf guy reminds me of a cute little elf guy that came through my back door one time. Sweet. All right. <laughs> 
Next up, for me, number two, it's got to be The Mothman, which was very nearly my number one. Um, I love this one. People, The Mothman story is just fascinating. It is. It's like one of the wildest series of events. And I really recommend, um, actually, the the place that I would direct people, if you want to get a comprehensive uh, look at this, listen to the Astonishing Legends podcast. They did like a three or four part episode on this. It's a lot of listening, but it's... It really uh, explains the series of events that allegedly led to some of the weird Mothman stuff that was going on in uh, West Virginia at the time. It was a town called Point Pleasant, and I'm not going to get into the very specific events that went in, because to be honest, I'm not an expert on the topic, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but there were a lot of weird paranormal things that were happening in this place. People had been seeing something called the Mothman flying. Uh, It was described with two like bright red dot eyes. Oh, and, I, I, I've got the specific story. I remember it crystal clear. The And the idea basically is that it led up to the of the very real collapse of the Point Pleasant Bridge. Yeah, and there 46 are account- people died. Yes, it, it's super legit. And there were accounts of people having seen the Flying Mothman around the bridge at the time. Um, and this is in addition to, again, like alien type experiences that seemed unrelated to the Mothman that were also occurring. So... The there's a lot of people who believe that there was some kind of like alien activity that the Mothman is somehow related to something like that. Um, it's just a really wild, insane phenomenon, and the idea of the Mothman being a thing in the first place is very fun. And I think it's kind of a meme, even that people love to talk about the Mothman in jest, like just as a fun cryptid. So that's part of where the lore comes for me. Did you want to share some of the stuff that you were looking at as far as the background? I was actually trying to find the video because there's a video of the bridge collapse where they were like, actually is a thing, but I'm not able to, I don't want to like spend too much time looking for it. That's fair. Oh, well, I mean, I think I've seen the alleged picture of the thing. I don't know if that's real. I don't know if that's that's real though. Um, Even so, like there's a lot about the Mothman that I just think is fascinating. I've got a book on it. I got to visit the Cryptozoology Museum in Maine. And uh, it's actually built by Lauren Coleman, who was one of the number one cryptozoologists, right? And uh, I got to buy a Mothman book autographed by him. So I have that in my collection. Oh, that's cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah. So that's another uh, good one uh, to read about. So I also like the Owlman, which is sort of um, related. Uh, Whoops, wrong one. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and also show you. So on the left here, this is an alleged picture that somebody took of a Mothman in 2016. So very oh. recently. Um, I think it's total bull. <laughs> I, wow. But the, the person says, oh, I didn't even know what the Mothman was. I just saw this thing jumping from tree to tree and I took a picture. Um, I mean, that doesn't sound like a Mothman, to be fair. Yeah, it sure looks like one, though. Like the type of thing that somebody would try to put together to... I don't, I don't know. You, you, know what, you know what I don't understand is... Ha- what like what what the hell kind of phones are people carrying around these days like i could not take a blurry picture like that if i tried you know what i mean like i i don't even have access to that low of camera quality how in the world are people still pumping out such terrible quality pictures of these well i hate to say it but i think one of the biggest knocks against cryptozoology as it stands now is that back in the day when all pictures were kind of fuzzy it was plausible for it was hard for people to just take a picture so people could be like oh you know there's a chance that you just saw this and took the one picture you could 
But now that we can just hold down a button, it, we've, we're always carrying around like an easy camera in our phones and these things are not getting photographed left and right. It makes you feel like, okay, it, it's less and less likely. But as time goes on, it's also more likely that these creatures die. So there's something to that. And there's also theories out there that during this hot spot of time where there was a lot of activity, that maybe there was some sort of weird like thing where aliens had been visiting and brought different creatures and they were there. And that's one of the weirdest, wildest theories out there, but it's very fun to me. And I like to suspend my disbelief and think, oh, what if something like that did happen? Hey, I, I like believing in the Mothman stuff, man, specifically. I, I'm like, let's just say it's some government test animal that got let loose one day like aliens i don't care let's do it i think that one's sure. way fun and this statue is in point pleasant west virginia so they do like kind of show the mothman as a tourist type oh, of thing course, man that's, why, that's how they why make not lean into it but also it's like there's stories about this thing having collapsed the bridge which feels a little weird to me that they would uh lean into that but that's not really um acknowledged obviously like this is still very much rumor and speculation so yeah yeah yeah. i mean uh i i'm sure that it's it's bad to glorify a tragedy but travel tourism is very lucrative and when you're a small town like point pleasant you got to cash in where it's due <laughs> yeah i mean lots of places have incentive to create local legends if i'm being honest which oh, is oh yeah I, I don't even care. You know, I, I will go to a place that has a local legend and I will buy their merch and wow. I will say, oh, look, I got myself Jeez. a picture of the, the, the owl man. Look, it's, I got a shirt. So it's so bad. You're so bad. That's terrible. I don't, I don't care. I love it. All right. Are you ready to share your number one? Yes, I am. I'm very excited to talk about this. All right. We're in. The yokai. I'm so glad you you knew to choose that picture as my first one. Okay, so the yokai necessary. Uh, so I, I'm citing this from an article um, in Advances in Anthropology. Um, this is depictions of modelings of the body seen in Japanese folk religion and connections to yokai images. Um, so it was hard for me to find. I like all of the things that I wanted to find that were pretty much just like a comprehensive history of the yokai. I can't find for free, and I figured out I don't have my master's, uh, the same credentials for my master's degree to get into like the JSTOR articles for free anymore, which I was very disappointed about. So I had to choose kind of like a free offshoot article, but it still had the information from the books that I was trying to find. So we we have the right citations. Nobody cares about this, I know, but I do. So you're going to hear about it. All right. Good. So um, <laughs> I'm going to leave this up so that people can sort of like look in and see what you can identify. Because I think this is a really awesome picture. Yeah, here, I'm going to focus it too. You don't need to see my face for this. So right. the cool thing about the yokai is that, um, so yeah, at the big, uh, when you look in like old history, there's not much, I, it's kind of a general category yokai is um when when you look up how it's defined it's from japanese and people have like 50 different definitions but um when i saw an article of a native speaker talking about how it kind of considered it's sort of like a class of creature much like cryptids where um but a little bit more metaphysical so like cryptids are very much the culture of cryptozoology is very much trying to make these physical animals that we can study right Yes. Um, and the yokai is definitely more of a spiritual thing. Um, and these are creatures that definitely are rumored to be seen. Um, and uh, some creatures, uh, so or, or, like old depictions talk about these um, creatures. I love this drawing uh, specifically for this, um, but of these uh, sort of, you know, 
different kind of monstrous demon spirit looking creatures parading through town. Um, there's a phenomenal movie called Pom Poco, a Studio Ghibli film. You want to skip to that picture real quick? Sure. Yeah. Let's go to the next one. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So these are three anime that all have examples of yokai. So a letter to Momo, these creatures are broadly considered yokai. Um, so, you know, the, the, the creature in the middle is a person obviously, but the other three are, um, just kind of general forms of yokai. And they are in this movie, they are kind of spirits who are assigned to this person after their fathers died. It's such a good movie. It's so wow. Cool. It's such in my summer days with Koo, I rented this from the last blockbuster in the town that I live. And, um, and I love that. And this it was like, I, I'd never heard of this movie and it's about a Kappa. Kappa is also the character Kappen in Animal Crossing. And, um, oh shoot, there's another example in pop culture that everyone would recognize and I can't remember what it is anymore. Anyway, uh, a Digimon. There's a Kappa-based Digimon. I, I'll bet you oh, know cool. who it is. Um, and, and then there's Pompoko and Pompoko are Tanuki. So Tanuki are like raccoon-like creatures that have transforming abilities um, Kappa are like these, uh, childlike turtle creatures that are sort of mischievous, but, um, you know, there's kind of a bunch of lore about how they used to be like kind of awful things and they like drown kids and do messed up stuff. But then there's also these depictions of them being like water spirits and like helping with crops and, um, you know, being sort of like an environmental spirit. You know what I mean? Like you take care of the water and you take, if you take care of the water around you, um, actually, specifically, that is the one that reminded me of your frog, um, was uh, the Kappas. Nice. Uh, by the way, I found the Kappa Digimon. It's Guapamon, which is a cyborg Digimon from Data Squad. No, 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 that's not it. No? All right, it no, says it's a Kappa right. Digimon, so uh, that's the first one that came to my mind. Oh, shoot. That is what it is. Wow, I must have been playing the game in a different language. That's all right. I mean, listen, Lucas. Oh, no, he, he has a, a baby form is the one I'm thinking of, I think. Interesting. Okay. Well, I could be wrong. I don't remember. I'm thinking of Digimon World DS. I don't even know how accurate that is in the Digimon canon. So what do I know? Anywho. Um, so the cool thing about these is the Pompoko is actually like, here, let me see. If, I'm just going to, oh, now I'll, we'll actually get in trouble if I try to play it. Darn. Oh, well, there's a scene from Pompoko where the Tanuki transform into, um, like these kind of creatures and they parade through town like the classic yokai would. Um, and this is to me just like another interesting little thing about little spirits that might have the ability to go in and out of our world. Um, I don't want to spoil the endings of any of these movies because they're all phenomenal, but they're all really awesome and play into my concept of how, you know, how um, maybe there are these cool little spirits that can see us and we can't see them. And maybe some of them are homies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of the anime Natsume's Book of Friends? Sounds familiar, but I have not seen uh, it. It's one that I've been dying to watch. I After you sent me this, that this was going to be one of your choices, I accidentally stumbled upon the 20 best anime with yokai. Yeah. And it was oh, number one what? on the list. It was the number one on the list. And I've seen it before as recommended for me as somebody who likes very similar anime. Oh, so you got to send me that list, dog. I, the only reason that I haven't seen this specific anime yet is because it wasn't on Crunchyroll when I tried to find it. But I'm going to find a way because okay. now it seems like there's another – because this whole concept that you've explained to me today, I love it. Like, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Now, can I ask you just 
putting it back into the terms of what we're discussing here today for Journal 4 and our favorite cryptids, quote unquote, um, is this like, do you think that this is like, it, it comes from a root of something that people believe in as far as uh, the mythos of Japan and other places? Oh, I mean, I think there's a really big difference and you can see it in movies like Spirited Away and how Westerners think about these things and how Eastern philosophy does. Because there's not really as much of a separation between worlds in Eastern culture as there is in Western culture. Because, mm, like, okay. let's take let's take like Hinduism, right? You have so many different gods that in the classic literature, 100% just straight up interact with people. You know what I mean? Like Hanuman is a servant of Krishna. I'm pretty sure my my Hindu mythology is like not perfect, uh, perfectly well researched right now. But um, from what I remember studying. Uh, in college and with different reading different books and listening to Ram Dass and stuff. Um, I remember that uh, I'm losing my train of thought. No. About Ram Dass? Yeah. Cause I started thinking about how awesome that Ram Dass podcast was that I was listening to where he talks about his experiences. Um, oh, all right. But, but uh, as far as the believability of these things. Oh yeah. So my point is like, these are things that a lot of cultures just accept as real and interacting with us. You know what I mean? So like, you know how some people would be like, I saw a gnome. It's more like an acceptance of the breed of gnomes and leprechauns and stuff like that. Like, obviously not everybody approaches it that way, but like historically there was a little bit of reverence for these spirits as like existing creatures versus in like Greek mythology where they're purely stories. Again, I'm speaking like super in generalizations and I'm not a historian. Okay. I was, I yeah. did art. I did like art management in college or in philosophy. <laughs> so, you know, take, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt because my accuracy may be very bad, but as far as I know, like there's definitely lots of people that uh, like, it's more like it, it's closer to like spirituality and religion than I probably think than folklore. You know what I mean? So like the way that Let's see. What's an example? Um, what do people do for religion in this country? Um, oh man! Um, other than church? like, other than like, God, God. Are there like littler things that people pray to in Christianity? I'm trying to be relatable. I don't actually know that much about. No, I mean, listen. Judaism. I think that every every religion has its different pieces, right? And I'm certainly not an expert on it. Um, but I. Yeah, I think it varies. I think as somebody who's a Buddhist, I don't really pray to anything as much as I express gratefulness to things. Um, yeah. So if you were trying to go down that lens, you know, people could, you know, express their appreciation for people who have been uh, Buddhas, not just Siddhartha Gautama, who is the original person that people know of as being the Buddha, um, but there are others as well. So I don't know if that kind of fits into what you're thinking. It reminds me more of how like, people and and me specifically i still like to do this we'll like do a little prayer for like the spirit of the trees or like you know like the spirit of the river or like oh you know stuff like that you know what i mean does that kind of make sense very much yeah but still like m still the kind of thing where like there there are like signs that you can see in japan that are like you know like oh careful children don't play in the water you might get got by a kappa you know what i mean like hmm. um so it's still something that uh, the yokai are worked into their culture as something that are interactable. You know what I mean? And like, sure, okay. in terms of belief, I'm sure that there are people that do and don't believe things like that exist. Um, but in terms of like origin story, it was less about 
Because, like, when I looked into a lot of the other stuff, like, the Manticore is, like, written. Dracula, I wanted to do vampires. Dracula is a story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This stuff doesn't actually come from stories, necessarily. Got it. That great clarification. Uh, thank you for explaining. And I love that as your number one choice. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm probably really wrong about a lot of that stuff. Like, I'm confident I butchered that history. So please don't repeat things that I say when I'm talking outside of my field. Um but uh we're having fun here like yeah. uh people I, I, expect us to be experts on cryptozoology which yeah. is a very real field with every real animal that we're talking about obviously i i, <laughs> I do say that the idea that there are like these japanese spirits and these like yokai that are like you know i mean maybe some of them are coming from like heaven and they're like spirits that are from our ancestors trying to help us out or you know spirits of nature trying to tell us to stop messing up the planet because we should definitely be really smart about the things that we purchase so that if there are yokai and we are damaging like spirits that are related to the floor i know i'm a hippie just you know what if though like we, i don't know uh you know you did you've explained this all great this has been very fun do you mind if i go to my number one for the oh, very last wait, wait. thing we're gonna talk about today i can't wait right. i already know i already know so it's gonna show you one picture However, uh, this is kind of encompassing a few things. So my number one is Lake Monsters and primarily Champ. Um, Champ Oh! So yes, Champ is my favorite of the Lake Monsters. Um, I like it. Now, the thing is, when I got into this idea of unknown creatures and it... I think our dad is very responsible for having introduced us to a lot of this fun thing. He really raised us with a sense of imagination and like, oh, what if these creatures could exist? And he would show us the pictures uh, that were allegedly taken of it. And we got to do a lot of our own research. Lake monsters have always been the thing that sparks my imagination. Anytime they would talk about like the Loch Ness Monster in an old cartoon, I would get so excited. And that was my favorite episode because they were delving into something that was so interesting. I love that it was in Scotland with a castle nearby, you know? Like, there was just parts of the lore that just excited me. Um, I love Nessie, but Nessie is the most mainstream, so I think it might be fun to talk a little bit more about Champ, which is the most famous American lake monster. And the reason it's my favorite, I actually got to visit Lake Champlain. And when I tell you that is one of the most beautiful places in the entire United States, I cannot be exact. Like, I'm not exaggerating. This lake is so vast and you look at it and you think to yourself, whoa, there could be a lake monster here and it would not be that surprising because it's gigantic. Um, and getting to visit it gave me an entirely new respect for, uh, I, I guess the lore of champ. It's another place where they've sort of lent into the tourist thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to show some pictures. This middle photo that I'm showing you right here is the most famous picture of Champ. It was taken by Sandra Monsi. And in my opinion, it's one of the best photos of a possible lake monster, if there ever was one. You know, a lot of these are very blurry. So it's taken many years ago. Um, she's done interviews before, and she's another one of those people where, you know, you it, it feels as though she's at least being honest about what the fact that she took a picture, whether... It, and maybe it's possible that she took a picture of something and it just ended up looking like that. I think that's always possible. But it doesn't seem like she went out of her way to doctor it. Not like the photo to the right. Yeah. Um, I should clarify that the only picture of Champ in this montage that I put together is right in the middle. Uh, and I think it's one of the best Lake Monster photos. The ones on the left and right are all messy. The one on the far right is the surgeon's photo, which ended up just being a toy that somebody put together. And it was a deathbed confession. 
And despite it being the most famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster, it turned out to be fake. And I think that takes some of the steam out of the legend, you know? I love that it's a deathbed confession, despite the fact that the rings of the water are, like, so obviously, like, so not to scale. You know what I mean? Like, that is so obviously a toy. (laughs) It's funny. I mean, and... That survived as a long time as people's proof, like, that this thing may be real. Um, you know, again, the one in the middle still has not been... Yeah, that, that one actually looks... Made. That one looks pretty... That one looks, like, to scale, at least. You know what I mean? Like, that looks yeah. like... If that was a Loch Ness Monster, it looks like it would be roughly the size of, like, a cow. Maybe a little bit... Maybe a little bigger, smaller. Right? Sure. And the ones on the left... These are underwater photos, allegedly, that were taken in Loch Ness many years ago. Um, And when I was a kid growing up, these were the ones that looked the most uh, fascinating and thought-provoking to me. Because they were taken in the same set of photos. So, thinking that there's an idea that there was this plesiosaur-looking thing, and then maybe there was a flipper. I need to specify again, though, that these are touched-up photos to try to more clearly show what was there. Which changes the context a little bit. Um, But they look pretty damn cool. I almost added Makule Mabembe to this list, who is another, I think it's a river monster technically in Central Africa. Sure. Um, and, and that's another really good one that was in one of the books that got us excited about lake monsters too. So yeah, the, the lake monster phenomenon, the idea that there could be, uh, or even river monster or uh, ocean monster for that matter, you know, giant squids, huge squids like the Kraken have been found. Yeah, um, that's a great one. I love you that. Know, I think or the thing fish. about under Yeah, or fish too. The thing about these underwater things is that they there's so much in the ocean that is unexplored, so much underwater. It it feels like the most plausible place for something like a plesiosaur having survived, or they're just to beat an an animal that we don't know about that exists. Um yeah. you know, there have been scans of some of these lakes and they haven't come up with anything substantial. I still think that it's a stretch for these things to be real, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for some of them. And uh, I, I did take some pictures of myself that I wanted to show when I was at Lake Champlain. I've got a lot more, but oh there's gosh. champ stuff all over Burlington. So I would find pictures and I would just be like, oh, look, I found champ again. Um, That's and awesome. Yeah, they had a baseball team, the Lake Monsters. I don't think that it still exists. Uh, since That's I visited. sick. Um, but really cool that they just lent into it. There's an echo center, which is like right on Lake Champlain. And it's like a museum with all kinds of things about the aquatic wildlife there. Not really champ centric. Um, but anyway, not, not yet. I'm just glad that they talk about the local wildlife. Yes. Yes. And that's more important. You know, the, the fact that the, the lake monster thing symbolizes what I love about this. And part of the reason that we ended up incorporating cryptids into our gravity falls rewatch podcast. I thought it was a nice way to close out uh, what we did here today and make it my number one choice. I love it. I love it so much. Me too, man. I think we have a, a pretty stacked list. I I think we do too. And I hope that people enjoyed this. Uh, For those of you that solved the puzzle, first of all, well done. Uh, A lot of cool work went into that. I need to, again, give credit to Anna LaFleur, who's the voice of the mysterious woman. And the name of the puzzle master, who maybe they will give me permission to say their name at some point. But as of now, I don't have it. So uh, thank you very much to them. Uh, I want to go ahead and just let people know, if you found this right after the first season of Gravity Bros has aired, you probably already know we're taking a brief hiatus. but 
I think it's safe to tell you about a couple of the bonus podcasts that we have in store, uh, mm -hmm. just to give you a little extra treat for having found this puzzle uh, that other people are not going to know. Uh, we're going to do a podcast about the Gravity Falls shorts. I think that there are some that are exclusive to Seuss, and we might do just a podcast about that. Um, and then That'd we might cool. do a podcast about the other Dipper and Mabel ones. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I want to watch the Gravity Falls pilot episode that is non-canonical with the series, technically. The very first pilot that existed that Lucas and I have never seen. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, Ooh, uh... I have an idea. Yeah? I just figured, Share it! I just, I, I just, well, it's an idea for, for tech. I just figured out how we can check if something's gonna fly the copyright or not. Oh, how? It's it's not like a perfect system, but we I could just screen record the three things that we want to cover, chop them up, unload and un upload the unlisted video and see which ones get flagged. And if the shorts don't get flagged, we could cover them live. That's interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, let's think about that. Or um, even the pilot. We could do a reaction to the pilot, maybe. But I yeah. have a feeling that would get flagged. Maybe not. I mean, I don't know how well worked out it was. If it's like the Adventure Time pilot, I don't think it would get flagged. Because the Adventure Time pilot, I would be pretty surprised if it got flagged. Maybe we should react to it and try. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we're taking a look at. Um, I also need to thank CJ. I just have a feeling that CJ is going to be one of the people that finds this video. Yeah, I, do. I agree. I think that you're going to solve the puzzle. Um, Major shout thanks. out to CJ. They've been a member for a super long time. And... Uh, Major yes. appreciation. The reason I'm saying special appreciation, Lucas, you don't know this yet, but CJ had a recording from, I think, like years ago that she took. And it has, it's got the, um, the Alex Hirsch post-finale special with the Time Baby interviewing Alex Hirsch that we talked about on the podcast. She has the recording and sent it to me. Um, so we're going to be able to watch that for the podcast after season two is over. Thank you. Uh, thanks to CJ. So oh, that's cool. I, I don't know if that was how easily accessible it is, but yeah, she just had that saved and is like, here, I put this on a Google drive for you. I'm like, you are what? the coolest. That's so yes. cool, dude. How are, are we, can we cover that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, would we would cover that during the hiatus, except that it follows the finale. So it's going to be major spoilers everywhere. Oh, um, that's right. Okay. So that'll end up being after season two, but uh, yeah. And we've got maybe some other bonus episode ideas in store. I think it might be fun to, um, talk about um, maybe like a season one recap of the characters. We could go over who won the most points in the first season. How about that? Ooh, that'd be fun. Do our, do our like midway totals, see who's stacking up in the bracket. Yeah, and we might be able to even do a bracket of some kind. We could find yeah. ways to like do a fun little thing. I don't know. I like it. We could do it. We could, we cool. could, all, dude, we could do like, we could do a tier list of all the season one episodes. Ooh, I could pull Ooh. up it. I can easily arrange that. We could pull up that tier list thing, and we could we. I, that's a, that's a super fun stream thing we could do too. That's fascinating. Okay, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. See, listen, people, you're getting all of the behind the scenes intel. You are, yeah, doing, yeah. Oh, and if we stream it, then that'll actually plug the podcast for a bunch of new people too. It could, yeah. Okay, there's an idea. Um, yeah, I mean, and look, if we're gonna be recording a podcast anyway, to some degree, it's fun to just be able to stream it so that people yeah. can hear it live. And it's going to be a good test because we want to do another podcast later where we do that more often. So anyway, um, what do you think, man? I guess it's time to close this super fun thing out. Let's do it. Let's sign out. I'm here right. for it. Well, thanks, everyone. I would say happy sleuthing, but Dig it. you got there. You sleuthed. Congratulations. Nice and uh, I'm, I'm not going to rule out 
that there could be another secret video one day after season two for the people who solved this puzzle. Because I had a great time doing this. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? I won't say for sure, but thank you all for solving it. And Oh, I and, guess... and we have a website now, right? They found this on our website? They did. Now, I'm not going to say this is our official sanctioned website because I haven't paid for Wix.com yet. But it's at least new enough where you can uh, sort of use that um, site to see our video cycle through. It, it's actually fairly functional. I just don't want to pay for it yet. <laughs> Understandable. Well, for the time being, this website link will be in the description if anybody wants to go check out our website. That's right. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next time.